Saul of Tarsus, a man who hated Christ, who was persecuting Christians, a Middle East terrorist who met Jesus Christ and followed Jesus Christ. And you and I have been so blessed by his writings, the Apostle Paul. Pharisees can come to Christ. When Jesus said to this man, you've answered well, you're not far off from the kingdom. It's an amazing thing to me to hear a man who's maybe coming with the wrong motives and maybe in the wrong group, but God is at work in his life. And God is able to take a Nicodemus, a Saul of Tarsus, and I think probably this man in Matthew 22. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today, we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 22 titled, You Are Not Far. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. The Herodians came, uh, verse 15 and 16. They were allied at this point with the Pharisees. But the Herodians were a Jewish group, but they were, as you can hear in their name, Herod, and they were uh, sympathetic to the Romans, and they were a political group, and uh, they came first uh, with a political question. Then the Sadducees came in uh, verse 23, and the Sadducees, as I mentioned, were the religious left, you could say. <laughs> they didn't believe in the supernatural, but they stayed religious, and uh, there's still people like that. In fact, there's people all over Portland that are religious, but they don't really believe that God can and does raise people from the dead and that sort of thing. And, uh, and then today, what we're going to look at in verse 34, the uh, lawyer's question, but he was a Pharisee. We'll see that in just a minute. But uh, he asked a question that's much, much better question. Uh, and so let me just quickly uh, say the first question by the Herodians was about taxes. Should we pay taxes or not? You know? And Jesus, in each case, by the way, Jesus didn't always feel the need to answer questions. Sometimes he just, he would almost ignore a question or answer a question with another question. We've seen that. But when he did answer, he could answer a bad question with a good answer, if you know what I mean. Uh, and our Lord is never intimidated by the questionings of men. Well, so these Herodians came and said, should we pay this poll tax or not? You know? And uh, he said, well, who, what's on your coin there? Uh, whose inscription is it? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. We should pay taxes. Christians should. Uh, the government coins the coins, you know, mints the coins. Uh, the government builds the roads. We should, we should pay taxes. But give to God what is God's. Don't trust the government. <laughs> Don't worship the government. And you say, well, who would do that? Well, throughout history, many men have set themselves up and demanded that they be worshipped. And subtly, many people in America think the government's the answer to everything. There's only one answer to everything. That's <laughs> the Lord. And uh, it's, it's subtle to start falling into trusting the government. So don't do that. Don't trust the government. Don't uh, adore the government. 
Uh, give to God what is God's worship, trust, confidence, faith. Uh, so he gave a great answer to that. And then uh, the Sadducees came, and you remember, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they thought they could trip him up on asking a question about the resurrection. They came up with this convoluted question we looked at last time about a woman who had seven husbands, remember that? And they all died, and it, it was, we saw they were lying in the midst of their asking him about I mean, they were, they were lying as they were saying, we know you're truthful and, and you, you, you speak the truth. So the contradiction in their lives was really something. But Jesus ended up by teaching something very significant. And I'll read that just to give us context. Verse 31, regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I hope you can put your name in that verse 32. God is the God of Abraham. Well, Abraham, if you, I don't know if they had tombstones in his day. I don't think they did. But uh, he was buried. He'd been dead a long time. And we would have had the dash between his birth date and his death date. But Jesus says, no, no, I'm the God of the living. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're very much alive. And so is anyone who dies in Christ. Uh, God is the God of the living. And I don't care who you are, if you're not in Christ, you can't say he's your God because he's not the God of the dead. And we're dead spiritually until we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's where we left off. And uh, the next question is about what's really important. Uh, and then the final question, he says, what's the foremost command? And I'm just sweeping through this. And Jesus gives a great answer. And we're going to take more time on that even next time. Uh, but then Jesus asked them a question, and the question he asked them, uh, if you glance down to verse 41, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. And he asked them a question, which is in one sense the ultimate question. Uh, it was about his identity. Who is the son of David? Who is, I ask it today, who is Jesus Christ? So these last two questions are very significant. As I said, there's a progression. It seems to be getting better. But I want to pick up on verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, <laughs> so these different groups came and they were shut down, you might say, put to silence. Well, when the Pharisees heard that the Sadducees were put to silence, and I said the Pharisees and the Sadducees, very little love lost between them the religious left and the religious right, you might say. The Pharisees were the conservatives uh, religiously. They held to the scripture and they had all these rules. They were legalists is what they were. But when they saw the Sadducees had been shut down, they gathered themselves together. Notice, uh, there's no question, but what their motive is uh, the same as the other groups. And one of them, verse 35, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him. Which is the great commandment in the law? 
What's, uh, what's really important? What's the greatest commandment in the law? That's a good question. And when they say a lawyer, uh, yes, God can save lawyers. I say, and, you know, we have lawyer jokes, but really lawyer in the Scripture is uh, a little different than we think of as lawyers. In the Scripture, a lawyer, especially within the Pharisaical context, was one who was really skilled in interpreting not only the Scripture, but all the addendums they had to the Scriptures. Kind of like I was talking to an architect the other day, and they were scrutinizing the building code, trying to figure out, you know, whether you have to have a door here or a door there, or if there can be this fire exit and that exit. And they said, man, it gets difficult. We're in line by line trying to figure out the code. And then they referred to another book they have that interprets the code. And I thought, oh, you have your Talmud. Because that's what the Talmud was, was, uh, you know, trying to interpret. Anyway, the lawyer asks a question, and it's a great question. It really is. But before I read this, I want to say... Sometimes it's valuable uh, to look at the parallel text. So what I'm going to do is, this is a brief one. I'll read it. When the Pharisees heard that he'd put the Sadducees to silence, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus gives a profound answer. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, really, on these two commandments depend the whole Bible. The whole law and the prophets, everything. What God is saying, what's he want? What does he want? He wants you to love me with everything you've got. Well, now, that is worth much more time than we have today. And that's why I say I want to take some time on this. But in the meantime, I want you to look over at Mark's account. Turn over to Mark 12. Because interestingly enough, usually Mark is the shorter account Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. You can hear the word optic, you know, like you go to the ophthalmologist or the optometrist, optic seeing. Well, synoptic, sin means from the same view or looking at things. The three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic. They see the same, they come at it from the same perspective. So God gave us three accounts, and then he gave us John that's kind of coming at it from a different direction. But usually Mark is briefer, but Mark at this point expands on it, and God gives us some more details that I want us to see. Uh, So let me just read it in Mark's account, starting at verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing And recognizing that he had answered them well, this lawyer, even though he was put up to it by the Pharisees, and even though he came and the Pharisees were gathering themselves together to try to test Jesus, this lawyer called a scribe here, uh, he, he recognized, boy, Jesus has answered them well. So he asked him, what commandment? 
is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So you have the same account. But then notice, listen to what Mark tells us. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Very interesting. This lawyer chimes in and says, that's right, kind of. And he says, yeah. And notice, if you look carefully, he says, this is, this is better than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus, look at verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Wow. That's an amazing answer that Jesus said. Wow. You're not far from the kingdom. Now, I don't want to build too much on this, so listen to me carefully. A Pharisee in a group that was out to get Jesus, God's been working in his heart. He recognizes that Jesus is answering wisely. And so maybe they put him up to it, but he asks a good question. What's the most foremost? What's it really all about, Jesus? Jesus answers him, and he's kind of been coming to that conclusion anyway. You know, He says, that's right. And what he does, Jesus tells us, he answered what? Verse 34, intelligently. Now, here's our Lord's, uh, as far as I know, the only time he commended someone for an intelligent answer, you know. And I say, well, what kind of answer did the guy give? Well, the guy, first of all, agreed with Jesus. That's always the right thing, okay? Secondly, if you look at verse 32 and 33, and if you know your Old Testament, you can kind of hear that he wove several scriptures together. And if you don't know, you can look in this side column if you have a Bible that shows the cross-references because sometimes when they quote the Old Testament in the New Testament, you know, we have the benefit of a Bible that will tell you this. He's quoting from Deuteronomy. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy 4, Hosea 6, Micah 6, 1 Samuel 15. You hear snatches of several key references of the Old Testament. In other words... This might be a new term to you, but uh, I use the term biblical theology, and I don't, I mean, I didn't coin the term, it's, it's used, it's a common term, biblical theology rather than systematic theology. They both have their place. To systematize the scripture and look at everything it says on a subject, that's good, 
and then biblical theology to take the, the scripture and bring it to bear. That's a very healthy thing to do. And this man had been doing that, whether he called it biblical theology or not, I don't know. But he'd been listening to God's word and it had been convicting him. And he was realizing that God isn't looking for a bunch of rule keeping. He's looking for a heart that loves him above anything else. And a heart that loves him, if you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. So this fellow answered wisely, and Jesus said, you've answered intelligently. And he said, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know. I don't know the Bible's silent, so I wouldn't want to say too much. But I think this guy, when Jesus said, you're not far, I think he saw his heart, and I think he came on to Christ. I know another Pharisee did. What's the most famous um, personal interview in the New Testament? It was a Pharisee coming to Jesus by night. Nicodemus, remember, in John chapter 3. And he said, hey, we know you're from God because you're teaching. And Jesus changed the subject, do you remember? And he said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And John 3 is a chapter that has been used in so many lives. I'll bet if I ask for a show of hands, I'm not going to. But I bet many in this room have been impacted by John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, Nicodemus, if all we had was chapter 3, we wouldn't know much about Nicodemus in the sense that he came he came by night. I think he was afraid to come in the daytime. But all we'd know is that he didn't seem to get it. This guy seemed to get it. But Nicodemus, he said, born again. What do I have to do? Enter my mother's womb a second time? Remember that? He didn't seem to really get it. But later, I want you to turn over to John 19 for just a moment. John 19. Verse 37, and the scripture was fulfilled, they shall look on him whom they've pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. He came therefore and took away his body. Joseph was a rich man. He came and he was a, notice the Bible says he was a secret disciple of Jesus because he was afraid of the Jews. But this was the day, the day Christ died, that Joseph stepped out and publicly identified with Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the condemned man's body and gently took it down, you know, and wrapped it. He stepped across the line of private to public follower of Christ. We still know today he's a follower of Jesus. It's written down in a book, the book. Well, notice that's not the end of the story. Verse 39, Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a 100 pounds weight. And so they took the body of Jesus, they, Joseph and Nicodemus. I take it that Nicodemus was a... Uh, secret disciple 
of Jesus too, but afraid to come out because he was what? Part of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the Pharisees. He had tried in chapter 7 of John very weakly to speak up just a bit when they were saying, you know, let's get rid of this guy. He said, well, our law says to, to not judge a man, doesn't he? And they just pushed him aside. Nicodemus. They just said, you're not from Galilee too, are you? None of us have believed in him. You know, and they just said, search and see. No prophet arrives out of Galilee. And they just pushed him aside. But now he steps forward and identifies with Christ. A Pharisee can come to Christ. And perhaps the most famous convert in the New Testament, maybe in the whole of history, was who? A Pharisee of Pharisees. Saul of Tarsus, a man who hated Christ, who was persecuting Christians, a Middle East terrorist who met Jesus Christ and followed Jesus Christ. And you and I have been so blessed by his writings, the Apostle Paul. Pharisees can come to Christ. When Jesus said to this man, you've answered well, you're not far off from the kingdom. It's an amazing thing to me to hear a man who's maybe coming with the wrong motives and maybe in the wrong group, but God is at work in his life and God is able to take a Nicodemus, a Saul of Tarsus. And I think probably this man in Matthew 22, Mark 12. But let me just draw several quick principles before we leave it. Don't give up, first of all on witnessing to people who seem to be hostile. Sometimes the more hostile they are, the more that's going on in here, okay? This is a setting where these people were hostile, it seemed. Don't give up on witnessing to hostile ones. Secondly, God can and does save Muslims, Jews, Mormons, Buddhists, you name it. Somebody can be caught up in a bad group. But if God's at work, don't give up on them. Thirdly, our Lord is patient. His answering these questions, even the ones about taxes and everything, you just see him patiently answering the questions of people that are skeptics. We live in a skeptical world. Portland's full of skeptical questions. Maybe you've been asking them, I tell you, don't think that because you've been asking hostile questions or that you hang with a group of people that do, that God can't save you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how stupid you've been in your belligerence toward Him, if you'll open your heart to Him, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, You Are Not Far, a message from our study in the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. 
Along with the sermon library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app in either the Apple or Google App Stores. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. God wants to be worshipped. And so he says, the great commandment is to love him. Notice what he doesn't say. People just typically, maybe you, have thought that the main thing is to find the right group, join the right group. Jesus doesn't talk about joining the right church or that synagogue or this group. You know, he's talking to Herodians, Sadducees, Pharisees, but when they say what really counts, he doesn't talk about those things. He doesn't even talk about adhering to a certain philosophy. He says, love the Lord your God. He doesn't say, have your perfect doctrinal creed even, does he? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm a stickler for doctrine, but... (laughs) Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, What Really Counts? Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.